welcome to the Sons of God podcast. My name is Andrew Davis, and in this episode, I'll be interviewing Ryan Williams and hearing about his prodigal son story and the inspiration and hope that he draws from his patriarchal blessing. Before we begin the interview, I'm going to have Ryan share a bit about some of the books that he's written. I was going to say, I wrote a book recently, if you want to buy my book. I'm also in the process of writing a book that talks a little bit more about my experience with SSA. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but um, it's in the process of being written. And it goes more into research that I've done. And it does talk a little bit more about experiences that I've had. And um, But it's very, very much centered on the gospel. And once I get that finished, you can read that one too. But the other book that I wrote is a fiction book. And it's about a guy whose best friend commits suicide. So if that's a trigger warning for anybody who's concerned. I'll post a link to his fictional book in the show notes. Now, let's get into the interview. Well, uh, thank you, Ryan, for coming on as a guest and uh, sharing your experience and your story. Um, a quick little fun side note about Ryan. Uh, Ryan served his mission uh, in my hometown in Connecticut. And uh, so that's how I know Ryan is we met um, when I was still living in Connecticut when he was a missionary. Um, and I did not know and he did not know uh, that we experienced SSA uh, that, that each other experienced SSA, I should say. Um, and so that was, it was something that came out uh, later uh, and was a really great moment of um, bonding for us and, and really solidified our, our friendship, I think. So I'm grateful that he, he trusted me to tell me that. Um, and he's been a great friend and uh, brother in this journey with me. So Ryan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So let's, let's uh, get to know you. Um, what's your name? Where are you from? How long you've been a member of the church? What's your favorite temple hobbies? Are you single? Are you married? Let's, let's get that stuff out of the way. Okay. So my name is Ryan Williams. Um, I'm originally from Colorado, a little tiny town in Colorado. I've been living in Alaska for almost a year and uh, moved up here for work. And then um, I've been a member of the church since I was eight. My family's old pioneer stock. Uh, we, like I said, we, we've been members of the church for generations. So it's uh, a family tradition, but it's also the truth. So that works, makes it easier. Um, as far as my favorite temple, my favorite temple is the Nauvoo Temple. I got to go inside um, for a school trip, and there's a couple of really special moments that I had there. Um, if you get a chance to go to the Nauvoo Temple, I encourage everybody to go to the Nauvoo Temple. It's really pretty inside. Um, it was actually while I was at the Nauvoo Temple that I was inspired to um, arrange a piece for praise the man for my school that we were able to do um that we were able to do and and record um as far as hobbies i 
like to read. I like to write. I like to watch movies and TV. Um, I've got my dog. She's she's a sweet little uh, border collie and blue healer mix. So she's she's a handful. But other than that, I'm pretty boring. Um, and it's just me. I'm single. Uh, never been married. Never had any kids. Never anything like that. So just just living life as me as and trying to make sure that I can keep going forward. Yeah, of course. So when, <clears throat> when did you first realize that you experienced same sex attraction? My first experience that I can remember was actually when I was little, um, I was probably, gosh, probably eight years old or so. Um, we, my sisters had, were making fun of me. We were watching the show Growing Pains on Disney Channel. And we had gone outside and said, oh, I want to go watch Growing Pains. I want to go watch Growing Pains. And my sisters were asking why I liked that show so much. And I said, well, it's got Leonardo DiCaprio in it. And they said, well, why do you like him? I said, because he's cute. You know, and I'm and I'm a little kid, not thinking anything of it. My sisters start to make fun of it. And I was like, it just was what it was, as I remember that he was cute. So that would have been the first recognizable moment that I would say that I experienced SSA um, through through high school, well, through all of school, really. Um, there were moments where I knew that I was experiencing it and I would kind of push it off to the side and be like, Oh, that's just, that's just me thinking that's, you know, that's not, that's not real. That's a phase. That's all these, you know, all the things we tell ourselves. Um, and it, it was very persistent. And um, I remember that I got, into pornography and that fed the fire, I guess a little bit. It was a way for me to um, indulge without indulging outside of, out of outside of myself, if that makes any sense. Yeah. You were able to act on those attractions without involving another person. Right. It was almost, it was as almost if, um, you know, I'm trying to relate it to the, the tree of life since we're going over Book of Mormon and come follow me. The the idea of staring at the at the great and spacious building while holding on to the iron rod and thinking I can do both. <laughs> and uh, and we all know that's not true. We all know that's not true. So you you got into pornography while you were in high school, while you were a teenager. Um, I was I was probably. I was probably about 13 when I first um, got into pornography. Okay. I, I remember the first, <laughs> I remember the first mistake that led me to it. Um, I was looking for a, a website that had to do with like some games and I mistyped or something to that effect. And boom, there it was. Oh gosh. Uh, the, uh, problem was is i didn't click out of it you didn't you didn't leave 
you know, there was a guy, he was a Muslim guy on my mission in New York. And he said, he, he always said it this way. And I think it's so true. The, the first look is a gift from God. The second look is the sin. And, and I think that's, that's how I kind of have started thinking about a lot of things is if things come by accident or things happen that I don't intend and it's a sin or something like that, it's, that's the gift from God. That's where grace fits in really well. And then if if I go after it again, then that's on me. That's absolutely my, that's where I start to sin is when I seek after it again. Sure. Like the first incident is, is, is a moment of weakness, but mm-hmm. if you go back deliberately to pursue that thing that you know that you shouldn't, then that's really where the sin comes in. And the Lord, and the Lord knows that there are accidents and he recognizes and says, it's okay. I'm not going to hold it against you for an accident. I'm going to hold you again, hold it against you for deliberately going down that way. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of where um, things led with masturbation and pornography were I made the mistake that led me into continuing to seek out that mistake. And it, it created a vicious cycle where you, you hit your highs and you hit your lows and the lows feel a lot lower than they used to. And the highs don't feel quite as high as they used to. So you keep chasing that high. Um, yeah, that's a very big pattern. Pornography is uh, tolerance like any other drug. You need more or you need something more extreme. Um, I've actually really learned this and have gained a testimony of it because I've been working through uh, depression and grief with my therapist uh, over the divorce. And the brain craves novelty. Yeah. And that, that's what makes it feel good is something new, something unexpected. That's why you've got kids opening Kinder eggs to see what, you know, and, and all these toys around what's inside. Like that is dopamine science. So dopamine science absolutely applies to pornography 100%. So you were, you were diving deeper into it. Did you have a sense of shame? Were you trying to hide it from people? I was very, I was very much wanting to hide it. It was, it was my own, I don't want to say pet sin. Um, but I, I didn't want anybody to know. I would get up in the middle of the night and I learned how to delete internet history. I learned how to delete the files that go along with the internet history so that it wasn't just, you know. Obvious. There. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, learned the tiptoes. I learned the ways around it. I, I'd, I'd find ways to, to keep it away from everybody. Um, because to me, it was a, it was, it was a victimless sin. And if I let anybody in on it, there was somebody that was affected by it, even though no matter how well you hide it, or no matter who doesn't know, pornography will always be, have victims. Um, it's always going to victimize your family, your friends, 
your loved ones um, and yourself. You yeah. know, those... it changes. It changes your mind. It changes your spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. If it's not something that you address and work on, if you allow yeah. it to persist without yeah. trying to change, it can. Even, yeah, no matter no matter the degree, it'll it'll definitely um, change you and. And so if I could hide that, if I could keep it at the 2 a.m., you know, in the dark, facing away from everybody, then for some reason I thought, and we do this, that the even Adam and Eve sought to hide their sin, yeah. to have the, the mountains crumble and cover them. Um, and, and that's kind of how I was. I wanted it to be in the dark and hidden. Um, and I was involved in my addiction for quite a while. I remember each, each birthday I'd say, okay, this is the year we're going to stop. This is the year we're going to stop. And each year not stopping. Um, yeah, it just doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't. And, you know, I went in for my, interview with my bishop mm -hmm. um for my mission call and my bishop was a family friend of mine he was a good friend of my dad's um but on top of that i mean it was small town everybody knew everybody on top of that he had been my or my uh priest quorum advisor before he became bishop and so i got to know him really really well and um he had been in stake young men's when I was on stake youth council and all of these different things. And so I had gone in there ready to lie. Hmm. I was, I was fully prepared. I had told myself what I was going to say. I knew, I knew what I was going to do when the question of um, masturbation and pornography came up. And he asks the question, and my response was, Bishop, I came in here fully prepared to lie. I was ready. I, I had an answer, and I can't do it. I can't lie um, anymore. And he closed the book for the interview and he just sat and talked to me for a little while. And what was his reaction when you told him? It was, it was very much of a loving, um, an understanding moment where there was, it wasn't judgment. You know, we catastrophize all of the time. And, you know, I said, I said, this is what's going on. This is how long it's been. He says, well, we're not going to be able to finish the interview tonight, but here's what I want you to do. Um, and then he told me he wanted me to talk to my dad and that we'd have an interview in, I think it was two weeks, two or three weeks. And we would, if I was free then, if I was pornography free for those two, three weeks, um, we'd be able to finish the interview. 
And I said, how do I tell my dad? And I've been, I've always been close with my parents. Um, I've got a big family and, and being close with my parents is, is just part of that. And so I asked him, I said, how do I tell him? What, what do I say? And, and this wasn't involving SSA or anything, but it was, it was dealing directly with pornography. And um, he said, well, I know your dad pretty well. And I think if you tell him, he'll listen and he'll be understanding. And so I, I lived about a half a mile from the church. So I get out in my car and I start driving home and I was almost home and I pull over and I sent my dad a text. I said, can you meet me in the car? I want to go for a drive. And he said, okay, comes out to the car. We start driving and, um, we, I didn't say anything for the first minute or two. And, and by that point he knew there was something on your mind. Something's going on, of course. Yeah. yeah. And so we start driving and I said, I can't finish my interview yet. Um, and then I went on and said, here's what's going on. Um, and instead of reacting poorly, instead of being upset, instead of all the catastrophes that I had put in my brain, um, that Satan had put in my brain, rather, my dad sits there and he says, how can I help? How can we, how can I help you get, uh, fix this basically? Wow. And, you know, that, that right there was one of the most beautiful moments that I've ever had with my father Yeah, was that idea of dad wants to help me be better um, and overcome something. And I'm a senior in high school telling my dad what's going on and scared of my dad, but Let's be honest, I'm still scared of my dad. I could probably sit on him and he'd be down, but I'm still terrified of that man uh, in a good way, in a respectful way. But, you know, I used that a lot on my mission. That experience taught me a lot. And I remember teaching repentance a lot differently after that. Um, seeing, my heavenly, seeing my heavenly father a lot different after that where it's not we think repentance is this process of flagellating yourself and you know raking yourself over the coals but it's not repentance is this process of walking back hand in hand with our heavenly father and and our savior with on on our side um to be the person that we need to be and and that it's it's a hug, not a slap, you know. And I think that that beautiful moment with my father taught me so much about repentance. Um, where I could start to own the problems that I wanted to correct. And I could um, I could see them as things that that 
I didn't have to face alone. Yeah. And so, um, so with your father, that had to improve your relationship, brought you closer together. There was some trust there, I think. How did that reflect over the next couple months as you were working with him and your bishop? Like, what was that like? So it was a lot more open. I mean, there was there was a lot more open and honesty and camaraderie than than before. You know, we look at parents and we think the hierarchy of of order here becomes dad's in charge, boom, 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 you know, and it wasn't so much of that, but more of a shepherd um, leading his flock with kindness and love. And that picture of, of the savior carrying the sheep as the good shepherd, you know, that that's more of what it felt like. Um, You didn't feel judged. You didn't feel like you were going to be punished. No. You felt understood supported cared for absolutely and i know that there are people who who don't have that necessarily um and who feel who who actually have the catastrophes happen and that's that's always hard um but i know that i know that bishops are inspired men that if your father's not in a place where he can act like my father did which i'm very grateful for my father um go to your bishop talk to your bishop that's what they're there for and they're there to help you through what you can't do alone um they they get training (laughs) um whether that's through the church or whether that's through the spirit they're yeah they 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 know how to help and sometimes sometimes they're people and they make mistakes but um if you want to change they'll they'll help you change and and that's change change anything i mean it doesn't doesn't have to be this difficult harrowing addiction you know it, it could be anything that you feel like requires a spiritual component to achieve. Right. Well, and, and, and I love that. And I, I, uh, I went through the church's addiction recovery program, mm-hmm. and I told somebody once. I said, "This is changing on a on a very basic level, and that's changing whatever you want. Whether that's you know, you wake up later, you're you're." constantly late or you you overeat or just just anything like that i said it doesn't have to be sin it's just changing behavior yeah i was in an arp meeting this is true where someone was trying to overcome their dependence on sugar yeah they came to that meeting for that purpose and that's what repentance means repentance means turning you know returning to our father returning our face away from this to that yeah and and turning again yes turning again and i think if we we remember repentance isn't isn't the lashes with the the whip it's yeah it's just turning around and and going the direction we know we need to go um yeah but yeah so it's yeah (laughs) 
Wow. So you are open with your dad about the the pornography, but he doesn't know about the SSA yet at this point. Right. And right. your bishop also didn't know about the SSA. Okay, so that was still nobody knew. <laughs> was still my my that person. Was still your thing. Okay. That was still the thing that I got to I got to keep away from everybody. Okay. Was was that? It was the I, I that wasn't shared. I was still I was still pretty much in denial of of okay. of it um, for quite a while. I was in denial that oh, it's just the porn. It's just this, you know. But it wasn't until I was in college. Um, that I finally realized, no, it's not just these things. It's a part, it's, it's a part of me. Um, or rather it's a, a thing that I experience. Um, and, and when I was able to own that, then I'm like, okay, now I can start to be a little bit more open. I, I like to say that the door I'm in the closet, but the door is open. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, Basically, it means I'm not going to sit there and flaunt it in your face that I experience this. But if you ask, I'll be open and honest about it um, because I'm tired. <laughs> it takes a lot to hide. It takes yeah. a lot to keep things in the dark. And yeah, and, and it I, hurts. Doesn't it, it does. It does. It, it kind of wears on you. You you, and because the hiding of it is not because we're going to throw someone a surprise party. It's because we're ashamed. We're scared. We're because we, because secretly we want to change. Yeah. We want it to go away. And we want things to be the way that they're supposed to be. And it's just this cognitive dissonance thing where something is wrong, but I don't want to fix it yet. Um, and, and living like that is not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, when I, like I said, when I was in college, that was when I first started to experiment with other guys. Um, and nothing terribly major. I mean, granted sin is sin. Um, but that, that was my first experience really when, when I was out of college, um, there was a buddy of mine and he was very openly gay and I texted him a couple of times and we met up and, and uh, broke the law of chastity a couple of times. Um, and so, you know, and the first, the first time it was weird. It was, I remember feeling like the Lord had his eye on me Um not in a bad way, more of a, he sees me and he knows that I know what I've done. Yeah. Um, and he's willing to forgive me. It was a very much a, okay, you know better than that. How are we going to fix this? And that feeling quickly changed from, you know, the, the progression of a parent rebuking their child from the hold on and you can see it with layman and lemuel the way he it takes bigger sticks every time to hit them over the head and uh and you made that decision and you made it again but Mm -hmm. you still had this 
connection to God. You still yeah. had this spiritual sense of, I, I shouldn't be doing this. I don't. And, and that's so interesting. You yeah. Because we, we think that when we do these things that we're not supposed to do, um, that we're the just, door shuts. yeah, we're like, we're instantly going to lose the spirit and lose all connection to, uh, heaven. And, and, you know, I can testify when I've made mistakes and I haven't broken the law of chastity. I'm not comparing necessarily, but just clarifying, but I have always struggled with, uh, a pornography addiction. Right. And I'm always like, oh, when I indulge in this, you know, I'm going to lose the spirit and I'm going to be shut out of the presence of God. And there have been so many times where that didn't happen. Right. And then it feels like I've been lied to. And so something is the, that connection is, is weird because now you sit there and you say, well, everybody says I was going to lose the spirit, but I didn't lose the spirit, but I don't. And so you want to try to reconcile. And I think a lot of people get confused by that, by yeah. that. Because they sit there and I'm like, but I didn't lose the spirit. Right. So it must not be wrong. And it's like, no, exactly. no, 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 no. Slippery like, slope. Hold on. Yeah. No. It's like, pump the brakes. Yes. And because it's not that it isn't wrong. It's that you aren't damned at that point. Because you can still turn around and make a change. And, and you know, the, the warnings, the flashing lights are still going off. Yeah. Whether or not I'm have that willing sense. to listen to them. Yes, I'm, I'm, and, and the, the longer you do it, the less the lights f seem to flash or, yeah, or the yeah. less they, you, the less sensitivity you have to the lights. Yes. Oh yes, absolutely. Because the, the, the Lord is going to constantly flash the lights to sit there and be like, Hey, turn around, stop, come yeah. back. Yeah. And his, you know, the scriptures say his arms are outstretched still. Yes. I was, I literally was thinking the same quote, you know, and, and that's, and, that is it. His arms are outstretched still. Even when we do these things, he still invites us to come back. Yes. And that invitation is evidence because we would not be able to feel it. Yeah. If we were not still allowed to, to, to have that influence, yeah. that presence. And that is just a testament to how much the Lord loves us and is right. quick to forgive. Absolutely. You know, and so, so from there, yeah. after I graduated college, um, I moved And you'd already served your mission at this point. Right? I had, I had, I had already served my mission. And Can we talk a little bit about your mission? Is that okay? Sure. Absolutely. What was your experience like on your mission with SSA and having just um kind of opened up about pornography with your bishop and your dad like there must have been there there must have been some things kind of going on just in your heart in your spirit in your mind during that time because i mean you were just launched out into <laughs> the mission field and you, you know you you weren't gonna have that kind of resolution time to right. really work through everything that you were going through so what what did that look like on your mission? How did that how did you experience that? So on my mission, luckily I didn't have very attractive companions. Uh, <laughs> that is lucky. So, <laughs> so uh, no offense. Not that they were ugly guys. Yeah. I mean, not that they were ugly guys. I just wasn't attracted to them. 
Sure. So that really helped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the, the temptation, it was really interesting because the temptation kind of ebbed for, a, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the attraction and stuff was still there, but the, uh, the temptation to act on that attraction was, was low. Um, wow. You know, and there's that, the, the scriptures that says when your whole body is filled with light, you know, you'll have no more desire to do sin. And I think that was, I think that's how it goes anyway. But um, as I was able to do that, as I was filling myself with the spirit, with good things, there wasn't any room for bad things. Um, And it wasn't until honestly, when I was in Connecticut um, that things started to pop back up. And I got, I had more time on my hands. I had, um, I had had a companion that I didn't get along with very well. And that was hard. Um, And so I, I mean, we, my second companion, he and I didn't talk like at all while I was there. Um, We were only together for like five or six weeks. I can't remember, but um and so when that happened, it a lot of it turned internal. Um, instead of wanting to go and be parts of, you know, friendly with my companion, I turned to myself and I went and, and closed off. Um, and doing that, the temptation was able to creep back in and fill in, fill in the gaps of where I um, had had the spirit sit in for so long and um i slipped when i was on my mission with with masturbation no pornography because i didn't have technology so it didn't really matter but um just the the masturbation part and i remember right afterwards i took our cell phone and i hid in our closet and I called my mission president. It was middle of the night. And I just called my mission president's office and I said, or called him and he didn't answer the phone, but I said, I need to talk to you. I really need to talk to you as soon as I can. Um, this is what happened. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> and uh, he came down, he had to do an interview for something. So he came over to the new Canaan chapel and he and I sat and talked for a little while and and he says, my job is not to send you home. That's, that's not, that's not a mission president's job. Mission president's job is to keep you on a mission and let's, let's work through this. And, you know, kind of that same mentality that my Bishop had was let's, let's figure this out. Let's get you through this. Let's do what we need to do. Um, and and so that was that was really good. I had prior to this, I had also dealt with um, a psychological disorder um, while I was on my mission. It stemmed from my own desire to be perfect, my own perfectionism, and basically what it was was the idea that I kicked myself out of my own body. <laughs> Um, 
the I, I dissociated. And what it felt like was that I was sitting rather than sitting where I am, I was about three inches to my left. If that makes any sense. So <laughs> a lot of things felt like I was going through the motions and and you felt out of focus. Yeah. You felt you felt like you were disconnected from reality, that things were slightly less real, less present. I, I, I called it well and and come to find out one of the other guys in my district, he was a Spanish speaking elder. He and I were experiencing the same thing. And oh. we called it we called it third person. Sure. It felt like we were living life in third person. Um you know, they they always talk about people always talk about looking in the mirror and not recognizing yourself. That happened. I'd yeah. look in my mirror, I looked in the mirror and I'd see myself and I was like, that looks like me, but it's not me. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like me when my mouth moves, their mouth moves, but that's not me. Disassociation and, is a major depression symptom. Yeah. You know, and I and I got talking to we had a the mission had a psychologist and she showed up and I was like, I'm going to go talk to her. I'm going to go talk to her. And she basically said that I had taken my entire subconscious. She said, picture your subconscious as a bunch of file file cabinets. And I'm like, okay. And she says, you have taken every single filing cabinet and filled it up with negativity, with negative self-talk and with, with, um, things about yourself that you don't like. And anytime your consciousness triggers that, those, it pulls up all of this negativity into your consciousness. And because you're at this point where if it's not perfect, it has to be removed. You become that thing that has to be removed. Hmm. And it just was this really weird realization of what was going on. And so we went through some processes of um, thought journaling and and a lot of it was realigning where I was, where I felt like I needed to be, where people thought I needed to be and, and just realigning all those things. And I tell this because I think, I think a lot of us who deal with SSA do things that are very similar. Um, yeah. Where it's, we feel like we have to be perfect. We feel like we have to, well, I'm not keeping the law, so I'm going to beat myself up about it. No, 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 honey. No, <laughs> that's not how, that's not what the Lord wants us to do. Yes. He wants us to keep the commandments. He wants us to, to be obedient, but he doesn't want us to beat ourselves up. No. He wants us to be better, not just do better. And worthiness and worthlessness that Brad Wilcox, I will go back to his words every time. Mm -hmm. There is a difference. There is a difference. There is a difference. Absolutely. Unworthiness is not worthlessness. Absolutely. And so often we combine the two. Yes. But, you know, and I, I think that played a lot into what pushed me back into masturbation. Um, on my mission and working through the addiction recovery program. Granted, I was doing it on my own on my mission. Um, but going through the packet 
it really helped me to to see things differently. Now, I wasn't by any means fixed by the end of my mission or, or shortly thereafter, but I understood things a little bit better. And and like I said, luck, luckily I didn't have any very attractive companions or missionaries that I lived with. Right. So I wasn't I wasn't tempted to do anything right. terrible. Right. But um, hmm. yeah, that was that was an interesting time. Um, do you think because you were just um, touching on that with the law of chastity and like, do you think the SSA had a part in? Because it sounds it sounds similar to a, a a word that I have only just heard, like a year ago. Scrupulosity. Mm-hmm. Everything must be perfect. I must be perfect. If I do the yeah. slightest thing wrong, I'm a horrible person. Just this absolute obsession. And Absolutely. so, the the scrupulosity, like I'm sure the SSA, really flew in the face of that. It it did because that was part of that. I'm not perfect. I have um, this, and I hate this, and I wish and, this and, could go away. Absolutely, yeah. and you know, I I tried to pray the gay away so many times, and we all know that doesn't that doesn't no, work. It doesn't work. Um, as I went through life, I realized that the Lord doesn't take away our trials; He makes wow. them light enough to bear them. Yes, um, and that realization really helped me to to see that the lord loves me um in in ways that i had never never thought of him him coming in and not swooping down and being deus ex machina um to all of my problems is a sign of his love rather than a show of not caring so, so Deus Ex Machina is actually a term in theater and in movies. It's the god from the machine, um, and what that was is in Greek theater, the characters would always get themselves into some major trouble, and at the very end of the play, the there was a machine. It was basically a crane that would lower this deity that would come and swoop their hand, and everything would be fixed. In theater and in movies, if you have somebody comes in, waves their hand, and everything's fine, it's a Deus Ex Machina, and life's not like that. There's, no. there is, God's not a god from the machine. He is no. a Father in heaven, um, who acts only when he needs to, only when necessary. I guess would say, um, and always with love, absolutely, and an eternal perspective in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so. As much as I wanted him to be a deus ex machina, I know that that's not who he is. He's he's not. And it wouldn't benefit me at all if he was. In the eternities, I still have to learn to govern myself. I still have to take the training wheels off and ride my own bike. Yeah. And if I have dad pushing me the whole time, I'm never learning how to ride the bike. Right. Um, and so, so that helped me learn a whole lot. And I've got an anxiety disorder as well. And praying that God would just make the anxiety go away was the same, same basic thing of I'm not taking it away. <laughs> I'm not going to do that because this is yours. This is what you've got to learn how to deal with. And I have learned so much 
with my anxiety, with my SSA, with, with all of these different things. Um, and they're, they've all helped me grow and, and be better. Um, better as, as a person in general and dealing with my own issues and dealing with other people's issues. So you, you worked with your mission president. He responded with love and support. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, any other significant parts of your mission that come to mind in relation to just everything you were going through? One thing that happened was when I was, I was a greenie, and I had gone on splits with my zone leader and I was really depressed. I'm super homesick and all these things. My zone leader had said something to the effect of what if it doesn't stop? And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, what if it doesn't stop your whole mission? What if you're depressed and want to go home and you want to do these things, your whole mission? He said, then it'll, then at least I know it'll end when I go home. And he said, what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't when you go home? I said, well, then at least I know it'll stop when I die. You know, and, and that's kind of morbid to think of, but a little bit. Yeah, (laughs) it was more of a, it was, it was more of a hopeful way of saying it is I can, I can stand through my mission. I can stand, you know, I think of not to compare myself to him in any way, but the savior when he's being flagellated. And if you've watched the passion of the Christ and he's standing at the, the pillar being whipped and he falls down and they look at him and then he stands back up in a Mm -hmm. sense of go ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, Not a, not a defiant go ahead, but uh, I'm ready. Even though he's already bloodied and beaten and all these things, it's okay. One more lash. Okay. This hurts, but okay. And I will, I will, I will suffer it. I will, I will deal with it. I'll go through it. And that's kind of how my anxiety and depression has been. and, And also my SSA has been very much a, okay then I'll, then I'll bear it. I'll, I'll, if this is, if this is how it is, I'll bear it and I'll go forward and I'm not going to curse God and die. And eventually one day I won't be dealing with things anymore. I won't have to worry anymore because even if it's in the eternities and it's way down the line, I can, one day I'll be able to sit there and look at Jesus and say, I did it. I've, I've mastered it mm-hmm. and he'll be able to sit there and give me a hug and be like, you're right. You did awesome. Now here's the next thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, it's... and, and it's that hope that I can do all things through Christ. who strengthens me. Yes. You know, and, and that be hopeful rather than, Oh, I have to deal with this every day. I have to deal with this. I have to, I have to endure. Mm-hmm. I don't have to endure. I get to overcome. Yes. And that mentality shift, I think, is really helpful. So that was your mission. Mm-hmm. 
you went through some things in college, you did some experimenting. Mm -hmm. Now it's you know after college and you've come to Utah. So yeah, after I graduated college, I moved to Utah and I will call Provo County my Jericho. Um, we all know that Jericho was the land that uh, the prodigal son went to <laughs> instead of he, he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho to while away his inheritance and do all those things. And that's kind of what Utah County was for me um, when I was out there. Um, I started, I had gone to church. I was in, in a ward in um, on BYU campus. And one of the weeks, one of the first weeks I was there, I had gone to Sunday school and as I sat down in Sunday school, I had two people on either side of me talk to each other through me. They didn't lean forward. They didn't lean backward to talk to each other. They just sat there and talked to each other straight through me. And I was like, I am invisible. I really am invisible. They don't care if I'm here. They don't care if I come to church. They don't care, period. Okay. And my roommates didn't help. I, they, I didn't talk to my roommates very much. And because of that, I was like, well, my roommates don't care. Why should I care? Hmm. You know, and why should I care about if I go to church or not? I didn't work on Sundays at the time. So I'm like, I'll just sit and watch Netflix. I'll sleep in. Who cares? They don't, they're not asking if I'm going to church. They're not, you know, they don't care. And I, I downloaded Grinder. You know, I didn't think, oh, I'll go and do these things. It was, it was, I'm going to download Grinder and see what's, what this is all about. One of the first guys I started talking to, he was, <laughs> he worked at the MTC. He was a member of the church and it was a different experience. I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. I, I was, I was very lonely and it gave me someone that I didn't have to be lonely, you know, somebody that, that I could hold for a little while, even if it was just temporary, I was holding somebody and somebody was holding me. Um, and that filled that hole that I felt of, of not belonging, feeling rejected by, by my community. And, and the more I, felt that the more I craved that and started going after and I kept finding guys on grinder and I kept inviting them over or you know doing these things and the world is so very focused on body count the world is so very focused on these different things I will tell you that I don't know the number I said like I said I I went down a path that that's when I started to, to drink. I, I wasn't a drinker. I wasn't heavy drinking, but I would go and I would drink a little bit and I would go and go to the clubs and I would have a couple of drinks and. It was the culture, uh, right? Uh, yeah. It, it's, it. it's, it's accepting the identity. If that makes any sense there, yeah. you know, when you accept the identity, you go and you do these things, you, you do the things that the identity pushes you for. Right. And 
and that kind of begins to overwhelm you. It tends to to replace the identity of a son of God. Yeah. And as I as I let it take over that place, I never felt whole. Because of that, I still I kept searching and I kept searching and I kept trying to find things to fill that hole and people to fill those holes and and yeah, that void was just it yeah. was just not it was not attainable you, right. you could not find because it, it you were chasing you were chasing belonging you were chasing identity you were chasing yeah. your your purpose and your meaning and your worth yeah and i mean like i said is some of it, some of those holes were filled um by by these guys you know that feeling of of somebody doesn't somebody cares right now that feeling of of a hug it's it's amazing what a hug does that feeling yeah. of yeah. of just being close to somebody yeah and those were things that i was lacking and so these guys filled but they didn't fill the other parts where i needed spiritual growth i needed these things that i was completely lacking and and I needed that peace, and none yeah. of that, none of that was giving, being given to me. Um, yeah. And I wasn't getting any of that on my own, and so I just kept doing this vicious cycle. And anybody who's ever downloaded Grinder, I will tell anybody who has not downloaded Grinder, don't do it. You feel horrible about yourself because it's all superficial. Um the conversations that are on there is all superficial it's all hooked up and it's all and it's all very flat you know you'll sit there and if you if you go and you try to talk to somebody they're going to ignore you and then you're going to take it personal well they must be because they don't like me and then that sits on you and then that eats away at you and this and you're already in a place where satan's right next to you being like you're you're a horrible person and it just reinforces it. So don't download Grinder. Don't it's do a it. Mistake. Even for people who don't want to be members, you know, don't want to be members of the church. Don't do it. It's not it's what you're bad. really looking for. No, it's not. And it it eats your soul. It will grind your soul. There's there's nothing nothing good on there. Yeah, there were times when I was feeling really lonely and really hopeless about the future, and I was still single that I was tempted to download it and just try it yeah. just see what it was about. I am so glad that I didn't No, Cause it, like I said, it just makes you feel worse. Yeah. So, um, you know, and as I, as I went through these times, I, I, again, I beat myself up and I tore myself down and I just felt horrible. I felt worse and I felt worse and I'd fill it with more guys or alcohol or whatever. Right. And, I I would lie to my parents and say, oh, you know, church was good, and I didn't go to church. And I had I had moved apartments and I switched wards. And the second ward that I was in was when I started to come back to church. What made the uh, difference? What my was bishop. the turning point? 
Oh, wow. I had a really good bishop in my second war. Um, my So <laughs> I had a roommate who smoked pot and drank and he was he was an interesting character okay and one night i had i was in grinder and i had talked back and forth to some guy and you know nothing came of it but i got a call from my bishop saying hey i want to meet with you i was like okay fine because i wasn't antagonistic against the church I, I, that's not my nature. I'm not an antagonistic person. Um, even though I wasn't super active, I was going to church every once in a while. Um, but you know, he calls me in and, uh, we sit and have a conversation. He says, so, um, I've heard through the grapevine that you're on this app. And I said, yeah. And he says, what's going on? And I talked to him about it. And I was very open and honest, you know, because I was at the point where I was just like, I'm just going to talk. And he said, okay. Are you okay? And I said, I'm fine, (laughs) which was a lie. But he talked to me like a person and he, he wanted to, he wanted to build a relationship with me. Granted, I was still doing things I shouldn't have been doing. Still exploring in things I shouldn't explore. Um, my mother once asked me, this is after, after the fact, I, she said, what, what questions can I ask you? And I said, mom, you can ask me any question you want, but I'm going to let you know when you don't want to know the answer. Found out that I had an STD and had to have surgery. And that was when I had to make a phone call. And I called my mother. And that was a phone call conversation that I did not want to have. And I told her what was going on and she, based on the issue at hand, she asked me, is there something you need to tell me? I was driving home from Lehigh at the time and I said it. I said, mom, I'm dealing with same sex attraction. And her response was very much a, well, that's just what Satan wants you to think. That's what I, he, I said, mom, I'm by. And she says, no, Satan wants you to think I said, no, Satan wants me to think I'm gay, but that's not true. Right. And, you know, and I just, I go on this conversation and I was bawling. I had my, I was crying because oh. it was, it was, it's a hard conversation to have no matter who yeah. you, who you are and yeah. no matter how open and honest you are. Yeah. And my, my mother, bless her soul. I love her to death. She she's a fixer. She, she wanted to fix it. And I didn't need that at the time. Granted, I did need fixing, but at that moment it wasn't helping. It wasn't doing me any good and it wasn't making her feel any better. And I remember I got to Provo and I pulled into the quick quack at the university place mall. And I just sat there for a little while 
and I cried and I cried and I kept talking to her. And I finally said, this is why I didn't want to have this conversation. And I hung up the phone oh. and it was hard because I was going to have to go through this surgery and be alone. And it just, it was very, very lonely. Um, in that moment, it wasn't the best situation coming out to my mother and, um, then she told my dad and my dad didn't say anything to me. I don't know how he took it. I, I don't think he took it very well, but I became an, an elephant in the room. A lot of times when I went home or something like that, it felt very much that I was an elephant in the room mm-hmm. and you know, my parents still love me and, and I know they did. I know they do still love me. And it just was very, for the first little while, it was really awkward. My parents didn't take it well by any stretch of the imagination, but they still love me. And I, and I know that for the most part, the people whose parents disown them, the parents still love them. It just hurts too much. Because your parents are your greatest champions. They're your cheerleaders. They're, they're the ones who want to help you the whole time. Um, everything they do for you is out of love. Even, even when they sit there and they rebuke you or they sit there and do these things, it's, it's, it is out of love. It doesn't come across that way a lot, but it is. So find the love in there and, and express that love in return. Um, with the surgery, I'm sure there was a lot of guilt. Oh, yeah. Because it came as a result of some of the choices that you made. And so Absolutely. that had to be really, really hard. Especially Absolutely. going through that alone, as you described, you pushed your parents away a bit and and you went through that by yourself. Yeah. You know, and... Did God ever come in to try to connect with you during that time? So in that moment, I was, I wasn't listening. I'll put it that way. I I don't think I was listening at the time. Um, I had already thought about suicide. I had always already, you know, thought about all these things. I was like, Nope, I'm just gonna live my life. And so at that point, it was, I'll live my life, I'll be um, active with these men, I'll be, you know, drinking, I'll be doing the different things in this lifestyle, like, this is where my life is right now, like, that was right now. Yeah. And if I change, I change. If I don't, I don't. Right. right. Um, But it was very much, I'm just going to live today. Yeah. And, and we'll see what happens. And and living today led to led to that. Right. Right. And that was kind of the wake up call really was that moment when I had to go in to do surgery because luckily it wasn't HIV or AIDS. It wasn't anything like that, but it was still pretty big. And, you know, all it takes is one mistake for something like that to, to change your life. And, um, I was very lucky that it wasn't HIV or AIDS because the surgery I had to have, I couldn't do things. 
and so it made right. it easier not to do things right um but the that change started to change my mentality um and and i was able to start to come back to church i was i was able to start doing the things i needed to do again because I had hit rock bottom and I had kept digging a little bit. Um, and I realized that there was nothing good down there. Hmm. And so I tried to climb up. I climbed up a little bit and I kind of plateaued for a while and I climbed up a little bit and plateaued again. And then, then I moved for the third time or for the second time. And I moved to Spanish Fork. I was living with a, a former coworker at the time in, in her apartment, and she was she was an older lady. I'd say older. She wasn't old. She was older than me. Um, and she was a super inactive member of the church, but very nice, very friendly. And about two weeks after I moved there. I got to the point and I said, I'm tired of lying to my mom. I'm tired of lying and saying that I went to church. So I found my ward, or at least what I thought was my ward. And I went there, found out it wasn't my ward, but I had gone to sacrament meeting. And I said, that's enough. So I went home. The next week I went to my right ward and I was very active in that ward. And it was really nice. I, I loved that ward. Um, that YSA ward was one of the best because, and what it took there was I had gone in that first, first full week that I was in the right ward and I sat down in sacrament meeting and I was pretty much by myself, if I remember right. And I get up and I go into Sunday school because we still had the three hour block. And one of the guys that's in the ward comes up to me and he says, is anybody sitting here? And I said, no. And he sits right next to me. And we just talked, hmm. you know, and, you know, he sat there and we, he wanted to know who I was, where I was from. He learned about me. And then the next, you know, in the priesthood, he sat next to me again. And that feeling of somebody wants me here. Finally had come of there's somebody who wants, if I'm, if I don't show up to church, somebody's going to know and it's going to be him. And that was a big turning point in me being active again, um, knowing that somebody wanted to see me at church and my ward was really good at being open and honest. Um, I was able to talk about, uh, big old tattoo that I had gotten on my back and I had a guy come up to me and he said, yeah, I've got tattoos too. And it's, it's hard. And we, you know, we just had a conversation about, about the things that we were experiencing and, and being able to relate to one another um, in a gospel setting was, was very, very helpful. And, and that brotherhood, that fellowship was what honestly kept me in. Um, 
there was one day we were talking about in elders quorum uh helping people come back to church and i said the thing is is we all pretend that people who are not active don't have testimonies i said that's not true and people often who are not active in church have very strong testimonies they just don't come to church and one guy said well they should come back for the for the gospel and i said you're right they should come back for that but that was that's not what's going to get them in the door i said what's going to get them in the door is a friend is somebody who cares enough to sit next to them and talk to them to to show them that they want them there i said that's what will keep people coming back to church that's what gets them in the door the first time and that's what keeps them coming back the second and third and then eventually the gospel takes over and and they stay because of the gospel um but we have to get people to come back so they can get the gospel in their lives um did they realize that you were recently just like active again yeah I had been very open and honest about my my activity in the church, and they, I, I told them, I said, "That's why I'm here." Mm-hmm. I said, "That's that's how I came back." Was somebody cared enough to say hello to me and sit next to me and talk to me? I said, "Had that not happened, I don't know if I'd be here because I didn't, I wouldn't have felt like I belonged, or I felt like I was wanted, and I might have just wandered off, and so." Um, and that was really the start of me coming back to church and, and being better, um, than I had been before and, and coming back out of Jericho. And then I moved back home (laughs) and I didn't have one. I didn't have opportunities to go back to Jericho because there weren't very many people and two. I was living with my family, so it made it even harder. <laughs> so you moved back home, and then your life continued. You were active in the church again. Um, you, how did that, how did that feel? Like, give me that contrast between your Jericho and your reactivation. It felt like coming home. Um, you know, I, I. I love the story of the prodigal son. It's my favorite parable because I relate to it so much. When the prodigal son is squandering his his riches and his inheritance, it feels good. It feels wonderful. He's having a good time and he's got friends. He's got, you know, all of these things that the world can offer him. And then he winds up eating slop with the pigs. And then he comes to himself. And that was, that moment was where I had come to myself. And I had started to come back to church. And and coming back to church was that walk back. Not knowing if dad's going to be there. If if dad's going to sit there and be like, nope, go home, go away. Or whatnot. And then rather than him pushing me away or saying you get to be one of my servants it's nope you're my son and he ran to me and fell on my neck and kissed me and you know my heavenly father 
and my savior didn't just abandon me to to Jericho. And like I said, it felt like coming home. Now I didn't get a fatted calf or anything like that, which I really would have liked, but <laughs> you know, um, but I got to be part of the family again. And that belonging in those holes started to be filled a little bit more. Now there's definitely holes that are still involved because I'm still single and I would love to have somebody at my side. And, it and still because hurts. you're bi, it, it could be a woman. Right. And, but yes, it, of course. And it, it still hurts and it still hurts. Yeah. Um, and there are times where I sit there and think, but I don't want it to be a woman, you know, but at the same time, I'm like, but I know that's what it should be. And, and, and so the, the holes are still there. Um, waiting to be filled but rather than trying to force fill them as i let them sit i know that they're going to be filled with trees rather than dirt um and and i'm waiting i i depend a whole lot on my patriarchal blessing um yeah in, in it it promises me that i'll be able to take a young woman to the temple to be sealed and it also tells me that i will be that before i came here i covenanted with my children that i would be father to them and those two things right there kind of remind me that i have responsibility yeah and and i need to be be at a place where where I can keep my end of the bargain with those kids so that they can come here so that I can be their father. And, and I'm just waiting until the day that I, I can be. Um, and it's, and it's not easy waiting. Definitely. It isn't easy waiting. Um, because we're human. We don't like waiting. We're very impatient, but, yeah. but, I know that I know that I can put I can plant trees in these holes that are sitting there empty and that one day they will grow and blossom and and that there will be good fruit that comes from them. So you you were very uh, scrupulous when you were younger you were stressed about doing anything wrong you were focused on being perfect and then you had this period of and you call it jericho where you just did whatever <laughs> you could that you wanted to do and then you've come back to church you've come back to everything you knew and do you still feel that pull to be in the scrupulosity mentality or have you gained some wisdom from understanding the, the difference between perfection and righteousness and repentance i'm i'm no longer in the scrupulous mode um where i'm at now 
I think rather than looking at perfection as never making a mistake, I look at it as the word is intended to be is completeness and completeness is impossible in this life. And it's impossible by myself. Um, it's only possible through the savior and it's only possible after the resurrection because even the savior wasn't perfect until he was resurrected. Um, I've, I've loved again, Brad Wilcox. He says we are, learning heaven, not earning heaven. And as, as I shifted my focus more towards that, and I've read, I've read books like, um, believing Christ and, you know, focusing on a lot of different gospel topics. I've, I've learned that the Lord is eternally patient with us and grace his grace is sufficient. That's the name of the Brad Wilcox talk. Um, you know, we, as we allow for that grace to fill in the gaps, we can be mended without being perfect. And we don't have to be perfect right now. We, the Lord expects us to be where we can be, but that's nowhere near perfect right now. We can do what we can, and leave the rest up to the Lord. And I think that's, as long as I keep the focus of Christ, you know, I, I've said so many times, it's, it's, it's just Jesus. It's all Jesus. That's all I need to know is Jesus and everything else falls into place. And, And if I keep my focus on Jesus, the gospel becomes easier because it's all Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And, when you recognize that now, now my sins, no, it's all Jesus. It's all dependent upon Jesus. Okay. Give it to him, turn it over to him and we can fix this. Yeah. It's not easy, but it, we can do it. So what does living with SSA look like for you now? Living with SSA now looks more like my favorite color. My favorite color is purple. But you wouldn't know it based on my closet, my house. I, I have more red things than anything. I mean, you can see my curtains, but um, <laughs> my curtains are red. My bedspread is red, but my favorite color is purple. And just because I'm attracted to something doesn't mean that it has to rule and govern my life. I don't have to live my life in purple. I can be attracted to men and be in control of myself. The attraction doesn't mean, doesn't require an action like it did when I was in my Jericho. You have a choice. I have a choice. And it's, it's a choice of keeping my covenants or not. And honestly, at this point, I would much rather keep my covenants because those are more eternal. There are lots of things that I don't know. I know that he trusts me to make the right decision with my abilities and my strengths and my weaknesses. And that he knows me perfectly to the point of he knows what I can bear and what I can't. Um, And what you want. And what I want. 
you know, and, and he'll judge me off of those things. And he will judge others off of those things as well for their own, their own life. Um, I look at celebrities who have left the church or who have decided to go down paths of SSA. And I think the church is the best place for somebody who has SSA. You know, we, in my mission, we would always talk about the best smell in church was nicotine and alcohol because to us, that meant somebody was trying to do better. That meant somebody was there. At least they were there. At least they were there to, to learn and grow and trying to repent and trying to be better and trying to face the Lord. When we're not, when we're facing the other direction and we leave the church, that's when we are walking away. And, and, that's, and that's hard. You know, like I said, so for those who are contemplating leaving the church because you want to pursue SSA, don't leave the church. Don't do it. Even if you can't, even if you don't feel like you have the strength to stay, uh, to, to be married in a mixed orientation relationship. I'm not in one right now. But if you don't feel that you have the strength to do that, like some others have, just stay in the church keep coming if you decide that you want to marry another person with ssa that's you know if you're a man and you want to marry a man stay in the church do your best to stay in the church now yes if you have if you do these things there are certain consequences but don't leave the church behind because when you do you go into the darkness and it's hard to walk back. We don't have to be perfect in this life, like I've said, but we have to be trying. And you had that moment where you came to yourself and you said, I want to go back. I need to go back. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, there will be, there will be people that make certain decisions, live certain lifestyle choices, and then will come back to themselves and say, you know, this isn't everything I want. We yeah. had we had an episode two, we had Timber, who did a whole Jericho thing that you did. And he came back, he came to himself one night and said, where's the peace? And that was everything to him yeah is that yeah. peace so um i guess one one more question um you you really did share your thoughts um pointed towards those who experience same-sex attraction right now in the church um and i like to ask this question uh to everyone because i think i think it's cathartic in a little bit of a way if you were able to go back to your younger self and that could be, you know, pre-mission, it could be post, you know, but in the past where you were the most vulnerable and just the pain of trying to figure all this out, the insecurities, just that, that place you were in where things were hard. 
if you were able to go back and talk with your younger self, what would you do? What would you say? I would probably say you're not alone. I know it feels like you're alone, but you don't have to be alone. Um, let people in, let people, let people know because they want to help. If they have the chance, they'll, they'll help you. Um, I know it doesn't feel like that. I know it feels like the world is against you. And then we, especially living in the world of social media, where everybody is perfect all of the time. Everything we see about people is perfection. It's, it's Instagram pictures that have been retouched and filtered and everything, but that's all fake. People are all suffering. Every, everybody is dealing with something. Um, you may not, you may not see it, but everybody is dealing with something and It doesn't have to be the exact same thing that you're dealing with, but reach out, reach out and let, like I said, let people in. Um, and if you find somebody who inspires you, reach out to them. Um, don't, don't be so hesitant because you think, oh, they don't care. Most people do. Most people are good people. And most people actually want to help other people. I know in my case, um, when I was younger, I ran cross country. And for anybody who has not run cross country, um, it sucks. And the people who love running are crazy. Um, I was never good at running cross country. I did it. And I could finish a race without stopping, but I was never, you know, finishing first or anything like that. I was, I was the 20, 20 some minute, um, runner. My freshman year, I had tendonitis in my knee and it, uh, got really painful. So I would want to stop and I'd want to stop running, but I forced myself through it and, I got a blessing, which helped a whole lot. But one of the things that I would do is I would pass people that would stop and they'd put their hands above their head and they would just get exhausted. And I'd say, run with me, run with me. If I'm doing this, you can do it. Come with me, come with me and we'll cross the finish line together. And when you get to the finish line, it doesn't matter what place you're in. You're getting a cheer. And the guy who pat, who crosses last and shouldn't be running cross country, he's running it because he wants to lose weight. That's the guy that gets the biggest cheer, not the first place, but the guy who's had a hard time doing it. And we're all there for him. And so what I would say is, one, be that person that wants to help people cross the finish line. But two, know that there are people out there who want to help you cross the finish line, to help you keep running. Don't stop running. Don't don't leave the path. Don't quit the race. Um, 
because we're all running the same race. And if we can bear each other's burdens, that's what we've kind of covenanted to do. We just find that right person to help us bear that burden and, and we'll be able to go forward. This has been episode five of the Sons of God podcast. If you liked what you heard and think it could help someone you know, please share this episode with them. You can also find us online at sonsofgodpodcast.com. Thanks. We'll see you next time.